It's Saturday, July the 3rd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Ethiopia's worsening famine and America's jobs bonanza. First, the week in brief. The United Nations said that 400,000 people are suffering from famine in the Tigray region of Ethiopia. A further 1.8 million are, quote, on the brink, it warned. The region has been the scene of a bitter civil war between joint Ethiopian and Eritrean forces and Tigrayan insurgents. Some 1.7 million people have been displaced. Accusations abound that the two government forces have blocked aid and tried to starve the Tigrayans into submission. America's labour market added 850,000 jobs last month, beating economists' expectations and far outstripping the 583,000 new positions added in May. The figure suggests that economic recovery from the pandemic is accelerating as restrictions are loosened. Still, the unemployment rate also grew by a tenth of a percentage point to 5.9% as more Americans became available for work. OPEC and its allies failed to agree on increasing oil production, even as economies emerge from their COVID-19 stases and demand for the black stuff soars. While most of the energy cartel's members want to pump more, the United Arab Emirates is holding out. It wants its allocated share of OPEC's overall output increased. The price of oil is currently hovering around a three-year high. Talks resume next week. The last American troops departed from the Bagram army base near Kabul, heralding the end of a 20-year military adventure in Afghanistan. President Joe Biden wants all his forces withdrawn from the country by September 11th. America's exit comes as the Taliban, which it has been fighting since 2001, has seen a resurgence across much of Afghanistan. Officials in France opened an investigation into four fashion brands over allegations that they sourced goods made using the forced labour of Uyghurs in China. SMCP, Inditex, which owns Zara, and Uniqlo denied the claims, while Skechers declined to comment. China denies the reports of forced labour and other human rights abuses against the mainly Muslim minority. China's internet regulator launched an investigation into Didi over cybersecurity risks posed by the ride-hailing giant's enormous pool of user data. It comes just two days after the company raised 4.4 billion US dollars in the biggest American listing of a Chinese firm since 2014. Such probes, part of new cybersecurity measures rolled out last year, have marked a period of increased government scrutiny of China's big tech companies. The Boy Scouts of America reached a settlement worth 850 million US dollars to compensate around 60,000 men who say they were sexually abused as boys in its youth programs. A deluge of child abuse lawsuits forced the 111-year-old organization to file for bankruptcy last year. If a judge approves the payout, it will be America's largest sexual abuse settlement. 
And fact of the day, 5 million, the number of EU citizens who applied for Britain's settlement scheme, far more than the expected 3.5 to 4 million. And now, here's today's agenda. Sausage Party, America's Hot Dog Eating Contests Thousands will gather at Coney Island in Brooklyn on Sunday to watch, quote, Nathan's famous hot dog eating contests. The annual event is perhaps the ultimate American July the 4th celebration. Contestants have 10 minutes to swallow as many hot dogs, including the buns, as they can. Coney Island claims to be the home of the snack, which some claim originated among German immigrants in the 19th century. The competition is named after Nathan Hanwerker, a Polish immigrant who set up his hot dog stand in 1916. Using his wife Ida's secret spice recipe, quote Nathan's famous hot dogs soon conquered America. President Franklin Roosevelt reportedly had them shipped to the Yalta Conference in 1945. The tradition of a July the 4th eating contest began in the 1970s. Most competitors dip the hot dogs in water. Some jump around to make them go down quicker. It is certainly not for the faint-hearted. Last year, Joey, quote, Jaws Chestnut, gobbled a record-breaking 75. All eyes will be on whether he can repeat his stomach-churning victory. Better Than Woodstock, the Harlem Cultural Festival Much has been written about Woodstock, the music festival that took over a dairy farm in New York State one weekend in August 1969. An Academy Award-winning documentary was released a few months later. People have since produced songs, stage plays and poems extolling the event. Much less has been said about the Harlem Cultural Festival, which took place in Manhattan that same summer. Around 300,000 people congregated over six weekends to watch the performances. A new documentary, cut from 40 hours of footage not seen before, chronicles that series of free concerts from artists including Nina Simone, Gladys Knight and Stevie Wonder. It was first and foremost a celebration of black culture in America and of the civil rights movement. But there are poignant moments too. The documentary shows Mahalia Jackson and Mavis Staples performing, quote, Take My Hand, Precious Lord, in honour of Martin Luther King, who had been assassinated a year earlier. Breaking the Glass Ceiling Women's Athletics World records for women's sprint events are among the most durable in athletics. Florence Griffith Joyner set the 100 metres, 10.49 seconds, and 200 metres, 21.34 seconds, records in 1988. But performances in domestic trials for spots at the Tokyo Olympics suggest that these could finally be broken. In America, Gabby Thomas ran the second fastest 200 metres ever at 21.61 seconds. In Jamaica, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price set a career best of 21.79 seconds. 
Weeks earlier, she became the second fastest woman ever over 100 metres, clocking 10.63 seconds. New records would bring welcome attention to women sprinting. The sport drew some less favourable glare this week after Shakari Richardson, the American favourite for an Olympic gold, was disqualified for testing positive for cannabis. There are several reasons for the spate of fast times. Among them are next-generation shoes, the intensification of competition and an underappreciated trait in athletics, pure talent. Anti-litter bugs. How cow microbes digest plastic. The notion that cows have four stomachs is a popular misconception. They have just one, with four compartments. The first and largest of these is the rumen, a cauldron of microbes which break down and ferment the tough plant matter that cattle munch. So powerful is the digestive effect of these microbes that scientists have enlisted them in the fight against plastic pollution, as reported in Frontiers in Bioengineering and Biotechnology. Researchers incubated three polyesters, which account for 15% of Europe's plastic waste, in rumen liquid. After three days at stomach temperature, the natural microbial formula had degraded all three plastics. Since rumen liquid is buckshy at slaughterhouses, there is potential for scaling up. With some fine-tuning, cow stomach cocktails could become an eco-friendly tool for reducing the amount of plastic thrown into landfill. Bovine digestion, which contributes so much to global warming in the form of methane farts, could become an ecological force for good. Saturday Profile Ngozi Okonjo-Iwila the WTO's new boss. In any list of the world's thankless tasks, being Director-General of the World Trade Organization would surely come near the top. Getting deals done is difficult, as all 164 member countries are needed to agree on any reforms. On top of that, America and China, the WTO's biggest members, have become increasingly hostile to each other as well as to the organisation. But a good challenge is something that its recently installed Director-General, Ngozi Okonjo-Iwila, relishes. Ms Okonjo-Iwila's CV is impressive. It is nothing like those of the six men who came before her. She is the first African and the first woman to lead the organisation. Born in Nigeria, she grew up during the country's civil war in the 1960s. In 1973, she moved to America, ultimately graduating from Harvard and then Massachusetts Institute of Technology with a PhD in economics. After 25 years as a development economist at the World Bank in Washington, she returned to join the Nigerian government. As finance minister, she gained international acclaim for improving Nigeria's financial stability and fostering greater fiscal transparency to combat the country's endemic corruption. She once said she must be a, quote, masochist to take the top job at the WTO. But she is made of stern stuff. 
When a member of the Nigerian government, she received death threats and her mother was kidnapped. Fixing the WTO may be her toughest challenge yet. The trade body has not concluded a major round of negotiations in 27 years. The only multilateral deal currently making progress is about sustainable fisheries. The WTO's appellate body, which hears appeals in its system that resolves trade disputes between members, has been rendered toothless by an American bloc on new appointments. The problem is that the role of director-general is more that of a convener and cajoler than of a leader with real leverage. Miss Akonjo Iwila represents the views of WTO members, not her own. But she does have some striking goals for 2021. Most significantly, she wants to find a way forward on the logjam in the dispute resolution system. Quote, it's a tall order, Miss Akonjo Iwila says. But she has faced tall orders before and triumphed. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Dave Barry, who was born on this day in 1947. You can only be young once, but you can be immature forever. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.